My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Zach Nesbitt. Before we get to today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. This episode is popping your ear cherries thanks to the amazing crew at Nordic Edge, where you can get all of your blacksmithing and bladesmithing supplies of belts, tools, and superior steels like Apex Ultra, Baker Forge, Damascus Spillets, and much more. So make it your New Year's resolution to hit up their easy-to-use website, you need it, you know it, nordicedge.com.au, and tell them the Forgecast sent you. And they'll be at uh, Perth Knife Show, straight across from us, actually. They sure will. They sure will. Uh, Perth Knife Show is going to be exhibiting on the 3rd and 4th of February at uh, Fremantle Esplanade Hotel, so make sure you don't miss out on that one. It'll be a great show. And by sheer luck, I'm sure, uh, Zach and I both have tables next to each other. So <laughs> The unofficial gonna... Forgecast table. <laughs> That's it. There's going to be, you know, half table on either side is going to be mine and Zach's, and the table is like the two halves of it in between us is going to be the Forgecast table. Uh, <laughs> unofficially. Love it. Love it. Oh, All right. We're back. So, we are. <laughs> I mean, we, we almost died, but we're both here. Um, we so... With that being said, what have you been up to the last two weeks? <laughs> I have been, as we've been talking about the Perth Knife Show, just mentioned that, I have been cutting blanks and forging profiles and just going round and round in circles in the shop to try and get my things ready for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a couple of orders that I've just been pushing out from uh, just before Christmas. Um, they're, they're all good to go now. So finally caught up, which is lovely. And um, yeah, I've just been throwing myself into knives and blades and everything in between. So yeah. <laughs> yep. um, I have been trying a lot of different things that I've never done before. So I thought, well, there's mm. the opportunity to do it. So uh, I'm trying out a Nakiri profile and which should be very interesting because um, I've heard the grinding on those is just an absolute pain in the ass. It's because they're so thin. Like a, a good Nakiri yeah. has to be super thin and grinding thin things is always a bitch. Yeah, well, I, I'm looking forward to the challenge. I've only done one, so I'm just going to see how that goes. I, I might do another, <laughs> a second one just for backup. I feel like just, that might just, need to happen. Just run the grinder a little slower. <laughs> <laughs> No, what are you talking about? Full ball with a flat disc. Yeah, that's it. Just <laughs> blow a hole in it. You'll be fine. <laughs> that's it. Um, but no, I, I've also been trying out a chef knife, uh, just a, mm-hmm. a typical chef knife, both a hidden tang style and a full tang style, mm-hmm. just to see what I like. Um, I tried a couple of little hunter profiles and little pairing knives just to have a little bit of fun with as well. Um, there is a cleaver in there as well because... Pfft, Everyone's got to do a cleaver, right? No, <laughs> oh, of course. Um, I've still got the I've still got that like half like two kilo fucking British style cleaver that I made like two years ago. <laughs> that massive truck spring or something. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, <laughs> you know the the three eighths thick t- t- uh, truck spring. Beautiful, beautiful. But uh, yeah, other than that, I've been working on my uh, rail spike storyboard uh, for the knives that I've been doing. 
just as I have a visual. So uh, when I do the classes for them, it's, uh, it's a lot easier to have a visual and see mm. what the processes are to, to, to explain it as well. Because uh, as I've said to a lot of people teaching them and just sort of showing them the ropes, a lot of this is uh, feel as much as mm. it is explained. Um, so it's, it's learning a lot of those things and helping them out. But um, yeah, um, other than that, I have been taunted by Liam from Simple Little Knives about router bits and all of that. <laughs> so I have been looking at my router that I bought and setting it up and having a little play. So there'll be more to come of that soon. <laughs> nice. And uh, the very last bit was what I posted up today was that big chunk of rebar that I was turning into a knife. Yeah. <laughs> I love that thing. Like, I, I, there's something about the the industrial aesthetic of, of yeah. rebar knives that just looks so cool. Um, it's just when you picked. Oh, no, I got the pieces from my brother. For, uh, he he does um, some FIFO work and he's sort of, he's mm-hmm. a surveyor, and he just had these bits of scrap and he's like, "See what you can do with these." And I'm like, "All right." And I kept them underneath the the table for a good part of six months, and uh, and I and I gotten into knives by this point i'm like all right let's pick that up ah it's pretty comfortable this could be a knife (laughs) that's that's a stupid idea no stupid idea i threw it in the forge and i made a knife yep so yeah (laughs) it came out pretty good i was very happy with it and it's honestly um, like the whole thing looks it looks great like aesthetically speaking entirely looks great ridiculously heavy Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it it looks like it would weigh a ton what is it like 20 20 mil rebar like Three quarter uh, rebar, maybe twenty five mil. It's something. It's pretty Jesus hefty. Christ. It's it's, it's pretty hefty bar, yeah. Um, and I and I only drew out maybe, I'm gonna say, maybe just under two inches worth to make the blade. Yeah, yeah, so right. It was like, it was, yeah, was forty five mil, sir. So. Oh yeah, I got a lot in yeah. it. So uh, oh yeah, I was I was very impressed, and I thought <laughs> oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be soft. This is not gonna work. And I bastardized the, the heat treatment on it and it came out okay. Yeah. So like it was hard. It skated a file. I I smashed it into a bit of wood that was pretty hard, no dents. I'm like, okay. Yep. And yeah, kept going. I, I've, I've done a test on it um, just recently. I, just, I have the big tree out the front. I just go and hack into it. Every <laughs> night. I hate the tree, but I hack into it anyway. Good test. Yep. But um, yeah, came out pretty good. So Put, put the final edging on it and see what happens from there. <laughs> oh, but it's but it's not real knife steel. You know, but but, but, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it works. And like, and you're not exactly hiding what it is. Like, you're not no, trying not to sell it as like, hey, it's 1084. No, it's fucking rebar. You can see high it. High <laughs> carbon pro barbecue rebarbecue knife. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You should make you should make a uh, like a rebar handled um, like fire poker or like a rebar <laughs> rebar handled like steak hook to go with Welcome it. Welcome to Laughing Fish Forge, the rebar collection. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the God, whole set. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, carving fork, um, everything. That's it. You see me on the building sites and all the all that sort of stuff. You know, scoping out the skip bins. <laughs> Show a flashlight or something at night, and you'll pop my head out like Gollum. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's been keeping me busy, Sam. Um, my song is is actually going to be. It's. I've already mentioned this artist before as well. Um, mm. It's Madeline who uh, I had. The, the last one strut but this one is another one it's dead um d-e-a-d uh, right. oh sorry my mistake it's not um strut that was uh it was dopamine 
by mistake. But yes. um, yeah, this one is dead, and it's a wonderful song. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, <laughs> condolences. Condolences. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful song. It's uh, she's got a good tune to her. Um, she's come out on TikTok and done a few things there as well as they do. And, <gasps> Not um, TikTok. Oh my god! A place to discover new musicians. No. <laughs> um, but no, I, I've been loving everything. So yeah, kudos to the misses for that for putting me onto her as well. So. Yeah, Un- unofficial Forgecast email was someone me- like messaged us on Instagram like, "Hey, I'm getting into bladesmithing. Is TikTok worthwhile getting onto? Because I'm so sick of Facebook and Instagram." And I'm like, "It depends on your like taste in good content." Question, Sam, we should save that for the question segment. But honestly, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, they they messaged me directly, but it was a question for the Forgecast. I was kind of like, "Yeah." Uh, yeah, rather. We tell them to contact us. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what have I been up to this week? Uh, so, well, last two weeks. Week before last, I was dead. Like, I, I caught a flu, got a, you know, like, cold sore outbreak. Basically just curled up into... Germies. Yeah, I, like, and hilariously, it was the coolest week we've had this month. Of course. Like, every, every day was, like, just under 30, and I was like looking out the window just going i know that i'm gonna hate the fact that i'm sick this week because (laughs) next week is gonna suck and then i get to this week and i look at the forecast and it's like 36 38 41 38 i'm like oh fuck's sake Uh, (laughs) um but during my convalescence i did get a little bit of work done i got all of the inlay finished on the top guard for the viking sword it's all done, finished. Excellent, excellent. Inlay, hands. Yep, that's it. And I started regrinding the sword because as I was fitting the bottom guard, the, the main cross guard, um, I realized that the geometry was all out of whack and I did not understand how I'd screwed it up. And the first thing I did was try and put my uh, file guide on it to square the shoulders off a little bit more. And I realized that one side of the blade, one side of the fuller, the peak at the fuller, was like a mill and a half thicker than the other side. And I went, how did I screw that up that badly? <laughs> so, so I spent like... Grinding tired. Yeah, I spent <laughs> 20 minutes at the grinder just like slowly trying to work it. Now I've got to push the fuller back over. Oh, Anyway, um, yeah, it's the basically the blade has to be completely reground. But anyway, um, so that's all done. The, the top guard is finished, inlaid, all done, ready to go. The bottom guard is now fitted and ready to go. The blade is ready for regrinding. Um, I just need to engrave the top guard, uh, the bottom guard, and I need to finish filing the uh, the pommel. <sighs> I, the, the one, the one like little bright spot for me was uh, when I was regrinding the the shoulders of the uh, the sword. The pattern peaked through a little bit. And I got to see some of the Damascus and it reminded me that the blade is Damascus because it's been so long at this point, I couldn't remember. And I was like, oh, this is actually, it's going to look fucking sick when it's done. I was like, yes, thank you. But also, damn it. Um, But yeah, other other than that, I've also been working on a pair of uh, Viking saxes uh, that I forged a while back. Um, I saw that. They were lovely. Yeah, I've got the handles pretty much fitted now. It was actually just before recording, I was finishing the pommel caps. Um, so they're pretty much ready to go. I'm just going to hand sand them and then 
I'm gonna probably I'm probably gonna glue them all together and then just grind the handles on the blades, like rather than screwing around with trying to make it all fit up afterwards. I'm just gonna yeah. I'll just glue it. I'll just glue it up and grind it in situ. I'll be, I'll be waiting for the posts. You know, like, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Well, fuck. <laughs> Knowing my luck, that'll probably happen. Um, it it harkens back to the old days when I started making hidden tang knives, and the the standard operating procedure for hidden tang knives is just to glue the damn block on and grind it from there. Uh, and it's 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 easier but you also have to be a lot more careful because the blade is finished like it has to be entirely done when you get to that stage and the problem with that is if you accidentally touch it with a grinder you're dead <laughs> that's it so, uh, and especially with saxes where there's no like ricasso or a break between the blade and the handle it's just like one smooth flowing line the likelihood of touching your blade is uh, like incrementally massively more likely. So I'm not sure I'm going to regret it or how hard I'm going to regret it, but I'm <laughs> sure I'll regret it on some level. Yeah. Um, I foresee filing in my future because <laughs> I'll be like, I'll get it to within like 10 mil and then I'll be like, ah, I'm just going to take a rasp to it now because um, <laughs> I don't want to touch the blade. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so just prepping for uh, doing more engraving. I've got to make a bunch more V-chisels because I busted up my V-chisels so bad engraving the, the bottom, the, the top guard. Yeah. What I didn't realize is that um, I had two blocks of steel when I cut these guards out. They're exactly the same dimension. They were given to me by a mate. And I knew one of them was forklift time and the other one was like 10, uh, 10 18 mile steel. And I couldn't remember which one was which. So I just chose one and went with it. Well, guess what? <laughs> the one I chose was the damn forklift time. Um, and so it's tough stuff. Like the, the chromium in there is just killing my gravers, uh, which is making life a little bit more interesting when I'm coming to do inlay and stuff. So <laughs> got to make a bunch more gravers to fill the void because I don't want to have to spend like 90 minutes sharpening for like five minutes of graving time. Uh, my song of the week this week is actually, uh, old throwback. And, uh, this was me being an idiot, not realizing that, uh, one of my favorite bands growing up was actually an Australian band. Um, I was, we were talking about this before the show. I didn't realize that Savage Garden is an Australian band <laughs> until I literally, I literally until like three days ago when I looked them up on Spotify. And the first thing it says in their like about section is like, you know, an indie Australian band. Oh, oh shit! It's Australian. Holy crap! Because um, <laughs> I only I only remember it from the so fresh hits of summer like mix CDs from back when I was like in my teens. God, I'm old. Um, <laughs> Those road trips. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the the song is called the Affirmation Song, and uh, it's just called Affirmation. Um, but it re-listening to it now as an adult with you know my my views on life and stuff like that i was struck by how much i agreed with the song in so many ways lyrically um because it talks about like you know freedom from oppression you know the the, the right to live and all that kind of stuff yeah. um and i just i just yeah, I was listening to it. And I was like, "Holy crap! This did this song just like indoctrinate me as a child?" Because I'm repeating all this. 
but no, it's it's literally just the fact that I've come to these conclusions as I've grown up and now I'm kind of in this space. It's really nice to hear that even back in the 90s, it was, you know, like a, 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 a thing. <laughs> oh, you're constantly learning. And then uh, like, like I was, it was funny because I was actually saying this to um, one of my friends the other day is that uh, it's funny how your parents are learning with your situations and they're constantly learning as you're growing up and you're learning as well. So it's, it's, you're always learning. Like we said on the show, everyone's learning, always yeah. learning. So you forget that those people, even though they're older than you, are still learning as well. <laughs> and then you get to that age, like when you go back and watch Shrek and you see all of the, the hidden jokes for the parents <laughs> yeah. for, the, for the movie as well. And you're like, Oh damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, it's, it was, it was really nice to listen to a song that I used to love back when I was a kid and realized that I, I, you know, still love it today. It's still a banger. It's one of their more famous songs. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's lyrically, it's just great as well. I love, I love it. So uh, yeah, give it a listen. Australian bands. Woo. And apparently <laughs> Keith Urban is not Australian. hey i'm real smart in some places and real dumb in others (laughs) hollywood stardom definitely not for you oh man no we'll remember that at the uh the next uh, quiz night so with that being said uh shall we do inspirations yep good yeah yeah well who's who's been inspiring you as, uh, you beat me to that one pretty quick this time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, enough, I'm, I'm right on it. I'm on top. Uh, you're ready. <laughs> um, this one, actually, I came across today. Uh, and it was oh, funny because nice. he posted in uh, one of the Facebook groups and with all the work, and I absolutely loved it. And because mm. I've been dicking around with, with these sort of things as well lately, just I haven't really posted about it. I just sort of do up in the downtime. But um, they're a lot of work. Um, to play with, but um, mm. I am talking about Stephen Pratt and mm. the axes that he works on. Um, I didn't even know he is a Perth boy um, from up in the hills. Really? And I have been to markets that have probably been just down the road from him. <laughs> um, he is up in the Mundaring Hills. Um, so I am very much looking forward to, to meeting him. Um, but also talking axes, um, the axes that he does are just whimsical and practical and just downright lovely. Um, and to see that work pop up, especially so close to home is just fantastic. Um, Mm. because usually when I see a lot of the amazing work, it's, it's people across the country or across the globe. Um, so it's really good to have, uh, someone like really, really local really local <laughs> um, yeah some amazing work so uh he is going to be coming down to perth knife show to say good day uh won't be exhibiting awesome. but uh, hopefully looking into that in the future but uh, next year you'll yeah. <laughs> have definitely. to you'll have to be here next year that's it that's it so uh yeah i am very much looking forward to meeting him and uh yeah definitely check out his work so he goes by uh keelback forge on instagram and he has a website so definitely check that up first and uh yeah get up to his antics on uh on instagram yeah Very no it's, it's great i love <laughs> his i love stuff. his um carving chat uh, his uh carving axes oh yeah yeah bit of everything but I, i'm looking forward to seeing more come out of that and definitely um an exhibit at the knife show 2025 hopefully if not yeah before <laughs> that'd be nice 
Hell yeah. So I'd be looking forward to picking up some info and uh, chewing his ears off about, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? What did you find? With <laughs> <laughs> always good to see other axmiths. Ah, oh, it's always good fun. But um, how about you, Sam? Who has been inspiring you? So my inspiration this week is a bit different um, purely because they're not like they don't make anything stunning. Like, you know, you wouldn't look at anything that they make and think like, oh, wow, that's that's incredible. What's inspiring to me is the fact that they do what they do with with incredibly minimal tools. Um, Like I'm talking, you know, barest of bare bones tools. Uh, and I come across, I came across their their channel on YouTube. They're an incredibly prolific YouTuber. Um, they they post like once a week, uh, and have done for like a or looks like a year now, maybe okay. more. Um, like it's it, there's an insane production. Um, now I don't know whether they're from India or Pakistan. Um, okay. I'm guessing by their name that that is the region that they are from. It could be Sri Lanka, somewhere like that. Um, their name is Naveen Sharma. Uh, and the thing that really inspired me was they did a video on making a pair of pliers and they went through like the full process of making like flush fit, like, uh, proper looking pliers, not nothing, nothing like, you know, ramshackle it's flush fit stuff, uh, with like custom punches and stuff like that to make the, the, uh, frictionless joint, like the, the main round boss. And I just... I was stunned by the level of in-depth quality they go to with the minimal tools that they have. Yeah, right. Like they're, they're running with just like a, a standard hand drill, a four-inch angle grinder, and just pure sweat. <laughs> like, um, and so I, I like binge-watched a whole bunch of their videos because it's just like it is the barest bones blacksmithing that you will see, but they go into production on like a million different things. And they do like oil lamps and, you know, um, pliers and knives and sickles and a pair of shears. Like they do, they do some like metal shears and stuff like that in insane stuff. And, um, like, like I said, the, the quality isn't like, you're not thinking ABS mastersmith quality, like mirror polish and all this kind of stuff. They're working with an angle grinder, like, <laughs> like give them some slack. But they yeah. go into a crap ton of detail with their forgings and stuff like that. They try and get as thin as possible and as accurate as possible with this minimal tooling. And I watching it, it I couldn't help but feel a little bit inspired because <laughs> I, I just love that idea of just making the most of the minimal tooling that you may have. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, the minimal tooling is, is excellent because there's in one way you get so used to it that you just rely on it and you can go so fast with that stuff um once you've built up proficiency and then you go up to stuff like it's funny i take my 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 angle grinder is a prime example for this because mm-hmm. i use the shittest angle grinder that you can <laughs> get. Um, like you know red army shit you know and I, i'm a surgeon with that little thing <laughs> <laughs> no I, no lie like that's not even just zach saying that like i've watched zach with a fucking angle grinder that man could perform uh, I, I like brain surgery <laughs> <laughs> but if i pick up any other brand it fits so differently in my hand and it's almost yep. alien and I struggle <laughs> with it. I really do because yeah. I know the angles of my my all of it. And it's just one of those things you build up proficiency with a tool, and it doesn't matter. 
You, you I, I, like, you. <laughs> it's that old saying of like, don't fear the man that practices a thousand punches, fear the man that's practiced a thousand punches, uh, punch a thousand times. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing with tools. If you're practicing on that same tool over and over again, you learn the ins and outs of it. Oh yeah. Um, and very quickly too. <laughs> yeah, entirely. Yeah. But no, like, and, and this is the thing. I think the thing that really struck me about Naveen's work is the fact that he's making this relatively high quality stuff. Yeah. for like what he's got like the, the the tools that he's got the materials that he has access to yeah. he's making this insanely detailed stuff and i'm just thinking there are guys out there with tool shops way bigger way more you know like machinery and all that kind of stuff accessed uh, like accessible and yet they're making stuff that's not even that good right well, like that, that just the, the, the surface yeah. yeah the surface finishes might be better like the you know the overall you know, finishes might be better. The fit might be better because you're using a lathe and all that kind of stuff. But the quality of the work, the actual like fundamental functionality of the work isn't up to par Yeah, with some guy who's on a dirt floor in, you know, the East, you know, smacking like steel on a, on a piece of like lump of mild, (laughs) mild steel in a, and a pit forge. It's, I just love that, and uh, I think that we could all do with like reminding ourselves that it's not just the tools, it's the work that we are doing. Well, a lot of people forget that, and, and a lot of new smiths do that same thing if they go out and I need this and I need that, or they watch in videos on YouTube and they see all of this multi-thousand-dollar equipment, you know, I need to have this to get this. You just really don't, and, and yeah. you, know, you guys have mentioned it on the Forgecast many a times before I even started co-hosting, but you know it's, it's the talent not the tools you know <laughs> that's it and um, like push yeah. the push the limits of the tools that you've got like you might not yeah. have the metal lathe you might not have the mill and all that kind of stuff push the limits of it get to as close as you can yeah with what you've got and then once you've reached that limit the tool is just going to be an extra leap forward yeah. it's just going to be then you've got more limits to explore that's right. But don't if you don't explore the limits of what you have already, when you get that new tool, it's just adding an extra mountain to the stuff that you haven't already done. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're still going to have to learn to use that tool. Like I t- take great inspiration from Niels about his grinding, um, yeah. about how he just took the time to, to learn the machine. I did the same thing. Yeah. I, I got like a whole year of just grinding. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't have that time, but I have whatever time I do have. And um, yeah. and I, I'll, like I, the axe that I finished up just recently myself, it's not, a, I didn't forge it, but I took it from a rusted piece of crap and new handle mm. and ground that all out and reprofiled the head, shaped the head and everything. And I got really used to the grinder itself and what it can do. So that's really all you got to do is just spend some time with it and get to know it. hundred <laughs> percent. It's, it's, it is just a matter of pushing your own limits within the, the tools that you have access to. Yeah. And I, I like to think of like Naveen, this, um, this relatively much poorer person in terms of tooling and just imagine giving him access to some of the tools that we have oh, yeah. and just imagining what he would do given that tooling. Right, oh, yeah. like he's he's at this level here with what he's got. You give him that, how much further could he go? Oh yeah, um, that's the and so yeah, and I, I and I just I just love that idea. So uh, yeah, go check him out. He's Naveen Sharma on um, on YouTube. That's N A V E E N S H A R M A. Naveen Sharma. Um, but yeah, 
very, very, very active. He's putting out a video every week, it looks like, at the moment. So go chuck him a follow. Will do. That being said, that brings us into our technique of the week. <laughs> technique of the week. 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 It's been a while. Yeah, technique of the week. I forget the. I forgot what that theme song sounded like. <laughs> but, um, this technique is going to be Sam's favorite. Oh yeah, Dying love it. Washing. Yay! <laughs> now uh, I can't remember we. Alex and I may have done stone washing in the past, but I don't think we really discussed in depth what stone washing can provide. I don't remember um, you know, hearing about it exclusively. Mm. All I remember is the absolute hatred that you had. From it. <laughs> um, <and laughs> my my hate is famous. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, hold on. Let me defend myself for a second. <laughs> My argument still stands. It is still lazy. <laughs> That's cool, Sam. It's cool. Yeah, okay. Like, so back back before I started doing a lot of stonewashing myself, <laughs> I despised it as lazy, and I despised it as an aesthetic, purely because every time I saw stonewash, it was only ever on those tactical, you know, like six millimeter thick, 25 mil high, modern american tanto style knives and i hated it with a passion um Good. but like but, yeah. you. yes <laughs> uh, but anyway since then i've done a lot of stone washing and stuff on my own work um like it's work that i would have hand sanded and stuff myself anyway and so it was stuff that still fits my aesthetic i just used stone washing to provide a different finish and a faster finish <laughs> because I, I was like, I need to, to love it. <laughs> yeah, I need to get this crap out the door now. And I, I have to admit, I will admit, I was wrong. Stonewashing is kind of cool, especially <laughs> because it provides you a surface finish that does not worry about getting scratched. Yes. That's, that is the one thing that, that kind of signed me over was the fact that when I'm making these hunting knives and stuff like that, I, I'm making these nicely, you know, 2000 grit hand sanded finishes. And then five minutes after they start getting used, they get scratched to shit. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> what was the point? Um, and so I have to admit that from that perspective, it is actually useful as a, <laughs> as a finish. Also, it can look really cool if it's done right. And I, I make that qualification if it's done. <laughs> <laughs> but with that well, being that's said, why we're here to talk about it. Sam. <laughs> we're talking about the technique, so we're talking about the how and the why, um, as we know, and we haven't spoken about it a couple of times on the show for a while. But uh, the why is always important. Alex yes. would beat me up if I didn't say that. I need the why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get yeah. him to just record that just for us. Learn the yeah. Why. That's it. I, I love that. Um, I love that your first knife making experience was stone washed knives. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah. It was, it I was loved like, it. It looked cool, in. and I was so proud of that. <laughs> yeah. Now this is where we like, the rubber meets the road. Is that there are a million different ways to stone wash, and there are a million different finishes you can get in a stone wash. And one of the first ones that you will ever do, and it's the same one that um, Zach did. That I did, yeah. Basically. Is the old, yeah, is the old etch it in ferric and throw it in a tub and then rattle that tub around until it's, you know, suitably stonewashed. Looks okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> but, and to qualify, this is a finish that you will do before you then put your handle scales on and grind the perimeter, which leaves you with a shiny perimeter and just the stonewash on the flats. This is the easiest form of stonewashing you will ever do. It is the fastest version of stonewashing you will ever do. It's not the most complete, though. The not next step... <laughs> and, and, like, from your experience... Like what? What did you? What would you think of like that form of stonewashing? It's pretty stupidly well, easy. It's it is. It's really really easy. My my biggest feedback from doing it, uh, I did two blades that uh, were in the dry mix, and that was yeah. just literally grabbing the balloon stone metal, chucking it in a bucket, throw the blades in there after being etched, and rattle the shit out of them. I did one after getting recommended to cover the stones in WD forty. Yeah. Um, and then throw one in there as well. And that came out very different. Um, yeah. But it, it's amazing how just a little bit of lubrication can do just many wonders. <laughs> See, like, yeah, I I 100% stick by wet mix, like uh, WD-40 or RP-7 or some form of, like, light Something. lubrication. Mm. Yeah. Um, like, people do it with water. I don't – I'm not as much on the water thing. I like the oil. Um, it works, but it does. I would say that it probably has a different abrasive effect on it as well. You know, it also is a lot heavier if you're doing it by hand. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. <laughs> that that's it. Yeah, um, and like, yeah. So you're because you're using what you're using like a twenty twenty liter tub or something like that. I just blade. used the old uh, white paint tub, and um, yep. yeah, it had a. I think probably couple of spoons of sand in there somewhere still so i just threw them in with the uh with the blue metal um (laughs) with the soil that was still attached to them as well so any little grit was great and yeah i just shook the shit out of it for about 10 minutes or so and uh and then i just laid it on the floor and i just sort of kicked it around a little bit here and there (laughs) and that was about it once i was doing the other one uh getting prepped up um then yeah i picked them up and looked them uh before i put the wd-40 in the mix yeah. Um, was that? Did you etch those with the ferric that yes. I gave you? Or yeah, because yes. you can you can get away with doing it in the soup. Uh, any I have any not acid tried will do. Putting them in the soup uh, and doing a stone wash because the soup does actually take uh, it, it makes them lighter. Yes. Um, so the the ferric uh, made well. I worked with ten eighty four. So yep. the blade, this is this that's the difference is you're going to get a different contrast, different steels that you use as well. So I was using ten eighty four, and I dipped them in the ferric, uh, and that got a nice uh, smoky grey. I would say yeah, really nice smoky grey color, and then I chucked them in the um, the stone washing, and it came up with a nice uh, silvery smoky patina. It was really nice. Hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, I'd imagine that uh, if you went for a darker etch or something and then threw it in there, you'd get quite a different effect again. See, and this is what I do. So I am I became a convert to stone washing the moment I had the idea to etch it in ferric, rub off the oxides with a like steel wool, and then gun blue it, and then stone wash it. And so I used uh, Birchwood Casey stone, uh, Casey uh, Super Blue. Uh, after that and then i stonewashed that and i loved that finish because it's you've got like the midnight black stonewashed it looks i i never really liked that light gray of the the ferric style it just for some reason to me it always just felt that little bit unfinished 
It's a um, preference. Some people love it. it, and, it, it yeah, no, I'm it, not saying. Really, and that's the hardest thing because it, 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 you can love it and you can hate it or, or you can hate one thing and you can love the other. But it's, it's all a preference in the end. It's, it's mm. what somebody else will like. Um, oh, 100%. Yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things you just can't nail down. <laughs> no. Yeah, so um, so yeah, I would do a, a ferric dip and then I would uh, gun blue it, uh, which bluing takes to uh, etched steel a lot better than polished steel because it's that got that porosity. I've never tried gun bluing yet. I've yeah, heard and, bad uh, things, but I'm looking forward to it still. <laughs> bad things? Jeez. <laughs> oh, getting it even uh, apparently is the biggest oh, thing. So applying... I, yeah, applying cold blue because I don't work that way. <laughs> yeah, applying cold blue can be a real pain in the ass. The one advantage of doing cold blue on a stonewashed thing is that it doesn't matter if it's even or not because you're going to stonewash it anyway. Hence um, the benefit of stonewashing. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things is that stonewashing kind of covers a lot of sins. If you've got like the odd scratch out of place and stuff like that, no one cares. Mm. Um. I, I very rarely hand sand any blade that I'm going to stonewash. I will just straight off the grinder, like at 240, 400 grit. I was going to say, what would be your finishes leading up to something like that? I, I prefer to be something like relatively high. You know, you don't want to be like 120 or anything like that because I think that shows through too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like 240, 400 would be good for me for um, that kind of thing. If I hand sand them before... Um, Stonewashing, like I've got a blade here that I'm actually doing that to. Uh, I hand sand a 240 grit and then I go straight to, to right, stonewashing. Because okay. like the, the scratches you're going to get from a stonewash are going to be much deeper than a 240 grit scratch. That's true. Uh, That's true. Uh, well, I guess that would depend on the uh, the grits that you would use in them. Um, have, have you ever done, because I've only ever done with the blue metal, like really rough as guts, but have you yeah. ever tried or, or known uh, anyone's tried you know, finer grits or grade, like uh, some ceramic chips or something like that even? So I know um, like Robert Herbert, who's uh, a pr- pretty prolific knife maker over in Queensland, uses like triangular ceramic tumbling grit. For his finishes, he also does like coating and stuff like that. But uh, that gives you a really fine, like grainy pattern. Um, me personally, I use uh, quartz. I actually use um, like garden quartz that you buy from Bunnings because quartz is one of the hardest minerals that you can purchase. Uh, it's in the same family as flint and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's going to have a direct effect on it. Like if you're using say clay rock or granite, that's going to be softer than many other rocks. And so therefore will not retain their sharp edges for long, which means that your, um, your stonewash is going to be a little bit more muddied. Yeah. Uh, and I really like those kind of jagged, like spirographic yeah. yeah. Um, kind of thing on my stonewashes. So I go for sharp quartz, um, and uh, you can buy it by the bag from Bunnings for like 12 bucks a bag for like garden wear. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, I've, I've seen it done with like um, steel shot, like cut steel shot. Okay. Um, just, just cut uh, pieces of steel wire. Uh, and that gives it a really light pattern because you're only barely scratching the surface, but it has to be hardened steel shot. Um, it's much it's like bead blasting. To, uh, to see what people would experiment to get different effects. Oh, 100%. Like, like, so I reckon it'd be things. I reckon it'd be really interesting. If I had a compressor capable of doing it, I would really like to do a 
sandblasted stonewash. Because um, I reckon that would give you like a really cool contrast. But unfortunately, I just don't have the the pressure to, to do that. <laughs> like I'm I'm currently borrowing a friend's like twenty liter. <laughs> It'd run it for like half a second, and then yeah. I <laughs> stop. Just so, sneeze um, it out. That's yeah, it. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly it <laughs> kicks in. So. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, there, there are a million different ways that you can do uh, a stone wash, and the main thing that you're trying to do is you're trying to darken the surface and matte the surface you're trying to make the surface matte so that it then picks up the scratch pattern of this rocks better and then you're trying to tumble it in some kind of media whatever that media may be um so experiment to find different ways yeah, yeah. now most people i i've had a, seen the discussion i've had the discussion myself of tumble versus shake um, cause like when we're doing the whole like hand shaking, we're really roughly getting that stone to impact the, the steel. Yeah. Whereas if you're tumbling, it's just kind of rolling in your media, even if you've got some stirrer bars and stuff like that in it. And so there is a, a distinct difference between tumbled and shaken stonewash. I prefer shaken stonewash purely because it's more aggressive. Um, everybody prefers it to shake and not stirred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With a sprig of lim- lime in there. You know. um, but you're getting the impact from shaking it as well. You're not, yeah. from that, you're not going to get as much from that. Uh, I'm going to butcher it. I'm not going to, my science teacher is going to kill me for it. The centrifugal force. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> centrifugal from force. Rolling yeah. it around. Um, and centrifugal yeah. force doesn't exist. It's centripetal force. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that argument in fucking high school. <laughs> but you're not, you're not going to, depending on your media, um, stirring it around, like you said, you know, uh, is only going to provide so much of a look, whereas aggressively shaking it and tumbling it yep. is going to, and kicking it about is going to provide a different look. Um, I reckon the only way to, like, to stop that, if you wanted to get the more aggressive pattern, would be you to use much larger stones. Hmm. Like get some Much like serious, stones, though, wouldn't it? Just yeah, those sharper edges, not round and media. Yeah, that's it. But it, but at least with the larger, you'd also get like more serious impacts. That weight, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's. I, I reckon that would be the way to do it. Which is why uh, you and I were talking about the whole get a um, cement mixer. Yeah, uh, well, I, I mean, it's got the sterile bars in uh, it. Yeah, the agitator bars in there are very useful because I wanted to look into that for a, uh, a tumbler so I could put some rounded uh, garnet in that in there and use that sort of in place as a polisher yep. um, just to take some of the scale off um, after I've dipped things in the soup. But it's yeah. the same concept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it really is. And the agitator bars, some of the systems that I have actually seen as well, uh, people that cut the agitator bars out um, I recommend right. keeping them in. Yeah, like I'm. Otherwise, it's just going to roll at the bottom and just <laughs> turning over. It's not going to pick it up and throw it around and and actually get that scale or the the stone washing effect if that's what you're going for too. But yeah, yeah, I no, absolutely. The purpose I, of cutting them out, I, I didn't really get that when I saw them. Yeah, no, like <laughs> you need you need you need agitators. It's like uh, when I see people making uh, rock tumblers for like doing yep. stone wash, yep. and they make them out of like PVC with a drill, <laughs> but they don't have any agitator bars in there, and then they yep. wonder why they when it comes out, it's just not very stone washed. And I'm like, that's because it's not cycling. 
it needs something to flick up that that grit or the the media and the the items that are in it to throw them around it's a it's a completely different mix even just yeah to that's it. roll them versus aggressively doing it it's the same concept yeah, and that's why, like, um, back when I, I used to get my stepson to do it, I would shake it around for a while, and then I'd throw <laughs> it out on the lawn and get him to kick it around like a soccer ball for a while. Because yeah. kicking it around will do it, but it won't do it as aggressively as giving it a nice shake for a bit. That's it. Um, now, one of the things that I found out really quickly is that if you want to make it a uniform um, stonewash around the perimeter as much as on the flats, it is a much more painful process because you have to fit and align your scales and shape the scales before you stonewash yeah. much like with the damascus blade you would have to like fit align shut like polish sand all your scales ready to go before you etched purely so that you could just fit the scales afterwards and not have to do anything to them because you can't touch them afterwards yeah uh, and that <laughs> makes it a lot more entertaining <laughs> yeah. the other thing is, is that on full tangs, um, the tang, because the, any edge that you have is going to get impacted by that media. So you're never going to have a square edge after stonewashing. So therefore you have to have like slightly radius edges on everything purely because it just won't survive. Like our square edge won't survive stonewashing. <laughs> so you're always going to have like a little, little gap at the top and bottom of your full tang. Um, so what I like to do is to match that radius on the scales as well to make it like look even, look like it's purposeful. Um, <laughs> the other thing you could do is like fill it with epoxy, but I just don't like the look of that. So <laughs> it is um, an option though. <laughs> it is it, entirely, it is an option that's entirely up to you. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't like it. Instead, <laughs> I, I heat up some uh, Renaissance wax and like melt it in there and then buff it so that that the interior crack is protected from moisture. Uh, but that's, that's it. But yeah, so like stonewashing is one of those things. It, like once you dive in, there's such a rabbit hole. <laughs> it is, there, is, there is so much to it. But, but one thing I, before we sort of end it there, because of course we'd, we'd love to have some questions about stonewashing. If there's anything mm. you want to ask us to do that, send that through. But I would actually like to touch on just a basic finish for stonewashing as well afterwards. Mm -hmm. How do you go about it? How do you treat it? Do you use anything specific or different? And what to avoid? Yeah. That patina. Yeah, yeah. I um, So me personally, I soak the crap out of it in oil, right? Like I, I so once I pull it out of the stone wash, because obviously I gun blued mine, I wash it off with water and then I soak the ever-loving hell out of it in WD-40 or RP-7. I literally sit it in a little box and like put it so that it's like covered <laughs> in, in the stuff. I probably go through half a can <laughs> just, just, um, but just, just to expel all the water and to impregnate the porous, uh, surface. Cause like when you etch anything, it's got a porosity to it. Yeah. Um, and especially with gun glued finishes, they, it naturally creates a porous surface of, uh, oxide. So you need to soak oil into that in order to prevent it from rusting. Uh, and with stonewash finishes, you're in your, you know, introducing millions of micro scratches. <laughs> um, so yeah, I soak the crap out of it in oil. And then when I finish the blades, normally I will either, uh, add a layer of Renaissance wax, or I will add some form of hardening oil, like tongue oil or something like that, purely to just 
seal that surface because otherwise it's yeah it's just open to the elements i don't know about you uh how do you approach yours? no that's that's pretty much the same way that i approach mine i i got mine out of the bucket and i soaked them in um what did i use i think i used wd-40 for mine as well because that's just what i had at the time and um yeah when i was putting them all together i just used a bit of isopropyl to clean off for the handle scales mm-hmm. and i glued them all up and that was about it when i finished them i used a bit of tongue oil on my ones yep um, yeah, and that worked a treat. It was really, really good. Um, Tongue oil is a great option because it is food safe. Um, it is, yeah. So even even though it is a hardening oil, like even if it flakes off in your food or whatever, it's still yeah, fine? It's still fine, yeah. I, I do like to use uh, beeswax, um, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still playing with a little formula at home that of, of, of my own concoction. <laughs> yeah, my, <laughs> my only problem... To use. My only problem with beeswax is it stays sticky. Like it never, yeah. it never dries, and so it's always picking up lint and stuff like that, yeah. uh, which is especially painful when you're trying to display knives at shows and stuff, <laughs> and they're just covered in little bits of like table oh, fluff. That and the fingerprints, <laughs> all of that, and constantly wiping them after every set. And, I will never forgive people for having the habit of picking up knives at blades at, at knife shows and touching the flats i'm like why just stop please it's 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 just the edge you know touch the flats okay i hate you touch the edge and you bleed on it you bought it yeah that's it you bleed on it you bought it i don't mind if you like test the sharpness a little bit whatever but but no i just like so many so many people just like wipe their fingers down the blade for some stupid reason i'm like i don't know why i don't know what it is it's just it feels it feels smooth no shit What a touch how smooth it is. <laughs> I like rusty spoons. Um, anyway, good old salad fingers. Uh, like three people will get that reference. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Love, I, I do love a good stone finish with stone wash finish when it's done well. I think there's a lot of people out there who don't put a lot of effort into their stone wash finishes because they do appreciate it as a lazy finishing technique. Rustic. Um, and I think I think that's where I kind of got it wrong was that I, every stonewash finish I was seeing was on these tactical things, and it was done as kind of like a last thought, like a kind of throwaway, like oh yeah, I'll just chuck it in the rocks for a minute. Yeah. But realistically, it's like any other finish; you get out what you put in. Well, that's it. I think you know um, the technique has probably just got a, a bad rap for itself because of how people use it rather than how people yeah. apply the technique. You know? It's like it's like Mum's meatloaf, which I always hated, and then I thought that I just hated meatloaf until someone else made it, and then I realized it's just my mum's a crap cook. Um, <laughs> uh, and talking about like super super in in depth uh, stone washing. Alex has done the most aggressive stone washing I've ever seen. He tied a knife to the back of his car yep. and drove around the farm for an hour. <laughs> yep. Like you want you want aggressive stone washing, we'll give you aggressive stone washing. That's it. What what can we say, you know? He he drives hard. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, as long as he doesn't well, drive angry. That's true. That is very true. Um 
Well, we only really have that that one question, but uh, we'll we'll do that one anyway because then we can lead into our topic. Um, but uh, as we know, our listener emails are coming to you thanks to Knife Maker Plus, where you can get taught the pro tips of bladesmithing by one of the best in the game, ABS Mastersmith Kyle Royer, joining you right there on screen, guiding and instructing you to turn your knife making game all the way up to eleven. You can do all that by and more by visiting learnknifemaking.com after the show. And that one question was actually about the the TikTok. <laughs> yeah, the the Tiki um, um, <laughs> yeah, It was it was just basically um, it was a, it was a question sent to Sam, I think, for the, the just a private side of it. But uh, it was great to answer on the show anyway, just to touch on. But uh, it was basically just explaining a lot of mo- makers uh, are moving over to TikTok due to the Instagram uh, bans around and uh, flagging. And, mm-hmm. uh, and other various reasons. And uh, he has no experience, um, nor does really want TikTok, which I guess some people are in that same route with Facebook and other social medias. But is it worth adding to the socials anyway? Um, there is another I, follow-up question to that, but uh, that one can yeah. be followed after. It is, a, um, it is a great question, and I think it is predicated upon a misunderstanding. And it's one that I fell into myself before I got TikTok was that TikTok is a kid's app with nothing but stupid dances and, like, silly people. Yeah. Um, and that's that's how something that's passed. Yeah, that's, that's, well, and that's how it was marketed by people who didn't have TikTok. Oh, yeah. Like, every everyone who had TikTok knew that wasn't the case. So the only people who were saying this shit was people who didn't have it, didn't actually right. know what it was. Looking over shoulders, uh, the armchair warriors. That's it. And they, maybe the only interaction they had with it was through the, like, 12-year-old daughter who, like, you know, yeah, friends, stupid, friends yeah. yeah, stupid dances and stuff is probably what you're going to see. But once you actually download it, the absolute just wealth of different topics that are covered on TikTok, like, it is insane how much information is uploaded daily. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with is, with over scary. a with over a billion users, there are just limitless yeah. hours and per day there is uploaded. Literally <laughs> for everyone, like there is different corners of all of it for any, oh, any man, kind like, of whatever whatever you're into. That's the thing, you know. If you're into my, homesteading and trying to make your beetroots last for ten years, and that there's somebody yep. there that exclusively does that. Um, the endless makeup tutorials to get these shots <laughs> on your eyes. Great. There's yep. 50 billion people that do that too, but there's everything. There's music, oh, there's yeah. all of it. And, and you will find something for you. And there's a lot of makers on there. Uh, and the, just in our craft as well. And the algorithm is actually quite effective. Like people shit on the algorithm and stuff, but realistically my, my newsfeed on TikTok is mostly like I'll be scrolling through. I'll get music. I'll get blacksmithing, I'll get music, I'll get cute animals, and then I'll get more blacksmithing. I, you know, the algorithm, once you start engaging with the content that you want to engage with, and one one of the things I suggest if you download TikTok is that you immediately go and follow some of the people that you already know. Yes. Right? Like, if you know that there are creators that you want to follow on TikTok, go and follow them immediately and like their stuff, because that'll tell the algorithm, hey, this is the stuff I'm interested in. Yes. And that will get but, you onto the right track. And my ADHD brain loves like the short form content, like and the fact that it's so varied. 
Well, that's why it's so popular as well, is that the attention span of the people coming up nowadays is very short. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so when it started out, as funnily enough, when it started out as Musical.ly, the app. Um, yes. They, they were, I think, 10 or 15 second videos is all you could do. Uh, it was sort of a trade-off from the Vines, uh, the seven yep. second little videos. And they were popular just because they were so short. Um, and Musical.ly was originally kind of supposed to be like a, a music-based app. It was supposed to be like a singing That's app. That's right. Yeah. And so then that uh, just evolved to TikTok and it is what it is now. And, and people are moving over there, just sheer numbers, really. Mm. Um, people are always on that more so than Facebook and Instagram. And Facebook has sort of turned into the, the boomer's home oh, ground man. now. Um, and, so and face, Facebook is, is like a cesspool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Facebook's just basically a whole scam nowadays. <laughs> yeah, oh, literally, like every every second post is like, you won't believe what such and such said. Click this link, and then suddenly yeah. your computer freezes. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, TikTok has its has its ways as well, but it, it's a oh, much yeah. faster way to just find what you're into, find little ways through that. It's a it's a new way of of social media, and well, I I was at the start, I wasn't a big fan of it either, but that's because again, I didn't know how to use it once i delved into it i learned a bit about it and i learned what i could do with it i'll be like hey I, and i'm still i would say i'm relatively a very early on beginner with this stuff too because oh yeah me too yeah. Horrendous. <laughs> um, yeah but like my wife is showing me new stuff every day the filters that all of that and that's just if you're content creating but if you're just on there just to learn and watch and be entertained well you've come to the right place oh yeah and i mean like as a as a content creator as a as a creator in general the inter the interactions you get on tiktok the the accessibility of your of your channel is insane like the ease of it oh just the like watching like i see a couple of guys like log into youtube log into tiktok and they just start their channel Mm -hmm. and they upload once a day of just stupid short videos of them screwing around in their shop within a week they've got like ten thousand followers it's insane the the absolute like rocket ship that you can ride into stardom just by uploading regularly on tiktok i I don't do it because i'm lazy but i'm uh, I'm learning (laughs) i am i'm uploading more and more each time and i'm doing my best to create more content because i I usually i'm pretty good at that i'll think of something that's funny and then i'll go oh i've got to go film it and like today i had a whole video idea but as as i've learned sometimes that ones that you put a lot of effort into go nowhere but then you do seven Mm. seconds of just something stupid and it's great (laughs) and yeah and it's it's it is still one of the fastest growing platforms on the internet like oh, yeah. as it currently um and yeah so like I, honestly at this point i would just say yes download it give it a go if you I don't like it least, whatever try it out yeah yeah give, give it give it a couple of days and that and just check it out but actually dive into it like load it up have a look at it you know when you have a look at uh, i think there's a following in the for you part so for you yep. it's you know stuff engage your content and uh, following is the people that you've already liked so you're only going to see that content so uh, it's have a look scroll through like a few things that you might be into and see where it goes you know you might find some dark corner of the web you'll easily delete but then you might find something <laughs> that you'll think is truly amazing and you'll be hooked from there so just just make for, sure to for, follow laughing fish forge and uh, the underscore kitchen underscore sink on, on TikTok. <laughs> shameless promotion <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it, it is a good app and it, and it definitely does have its uh, attributes to win as well, like people that have uh, been funding their businesses through it as well. It's a yep. great money maker to get your stuff out there and just be seen uh, and then be contacted. So uh, I guess you'll, you'll like anything we've said on this show, you'll get out what you put into it. But if you're just looking into it as a, an entertainment or even learning and just to see what's mm-hmm. out there, it's well worth a couple of days checking it out. See what you think. And- like, yeah, and as a creator, it is a great way to get people over to your other platforms. That's right. right? Like, utilizing a link tree, um, like, the way I built my Instagram following was through YouTube, right? Like, I, I wasn't posting very often on Instagram, and I was great gaining followers purely because I was linking it from my YouTube. You can do the same thing on TikTok. You can get your viewers, as long as you got your link in bio, you can get them onto your other platforms to get better engagement over there as well. So, yeah. It's not just about being on one platform. It's about, you know, diversifying your platform. Yeah, yeah. The next question to that was more of a nerd question, but um, <laughs> it was uh, who would win an arm wrestling match between Red Hulk and Green Hulk? Um, there's a lot of factors to that. Um, but off the top, I'm just going to say Red Hulk, just for the uh, the plain there and simple without diving into it. Um, I, will, I will bow to Zach's I'll, knowledge I'll, of this. I'll grow, I'll, if we ever go into that, I can explain why. <laughs> <laughs> we, and as I was saying that, we do actually have a second question. Holy crap. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Um, and this comes from the Rat River Trapper. Uh-huh. Uh, and he says, uh, I see that Nils is experimenting with many different methods of axe making, i.e. traditional methods, symmetrical fold, asymmetrical fold. After all these experiments... Which method is the easiest and which method is your favorite? Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Nils hasn't been here in a very long time. <laughs> but I do know what you're talking about. Um, it's a good question. Uh, Take it away, Sam. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which, which, is the, which is the easiest is an easy question to answer. It is literally just take a block of hardenable steel, turn it into an axe shape. That's it. Um, because it doesn't require forge welding. It doesn't require any significant like differences in materials or anything like that. It is literally just take a hunk of steel, turn it into the shape of the axe, quench it, away you go. Um, the only downside is obviously working tool steel is a little harder, but most of the cases, in most cases when you're working with machinery, like you're working with a press, power hammer and all that kind of stuff, doesn't make a huge difference. Um, if you're working with hand tools on the other side, it all comes down to how well you can forge weld. The next easiest down the line is to take a block of mild steel, punch a hole in it, make your axe head shape, and then cut a lip in it, put a high carbon steel bit in it, and forge weld that in, and then draw that out into your final axe blade. That is the simplest method ever. It is the one that's been used for centuries, um, and it's the one I I, I have used on uh, many occasions and stuff like that. The rest of the methods are all very specific to a specific time or a specific place and a specific availability of material. Um, a lot of like the traditional stuff like the uh, the wrap weld and the the uh, like colonial style offset welds and stuff like that are mostly because you only got your material in bar stock form when you were given it or sold it in the medieval and late Renaissance periods. And to stack that up and re-weld it into a brick of steel to then make it into an axe was wasteful because you would lose material in the forge welding process. So it was much better to then turn that bar, 
you know, forge your set downs, wrap it around itself and forge weld it with a high carbon bit to make an axe rather than making a billet out of it. Um, <clears throat> it's no more effective. And actually the more forge welds you introduce into something, the more likely it is to fail. Um, so it's, it's just, you know, you're adding weak points, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I love Niels's content. Like he's been doing an amazing job over on YouTube. I think he recently hit 50,000 spot subscribers. Uh, absolutely nuts. Um, but yeah, like when it comes to simplicity and ease, uh, solid block is best. Uh, and then just a forged edge, uh, a forge welded edge, um, is the best, um, otherwise, um, <clears throat> my favorite on the other hand, uh, would have to be the method that Jim Austin showed in his, uh, forged Danax on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, uh, if you look up Jim Austin Danax, you'll see a, a video of like how he forged a Danax and he did a really unique way of forge welding that together. And I really liked it. So uh, you should give that a, you should give that a look, but yeah, thank you very much for the question. It's yeah. Uh, unfortunately Nils hasn't been around for a while. Uh, feel free to message him on Instagram. I'm sure he'd be happy to answer your questions. Thank you. Yeah, Definitely. Well, that's um, pretty much. Well then just um, ease right into our topic then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Going on the basis of self-taught versus trained. Yeah. So to, to clarify, this was actually inspired by a viewer question um, from uh, Blackfire Forge on Instagram. Um, because, yeah, we, we, we get questions occasionally that we think would be better as topics rather than questions. Uh, and it's specifically revolved around the idea of self-taught versus being taught by others. Um, and the idea of like not watching tutorials, not watching, you know, I, I'm not going to watch any tutorials. I'm not going to watch any how to's. I'm not going to read any books. I'm just going to teach myself by doing, uh, and the, the merits of that. Uh, and Zach and actually, uh, Zach and I actually had a really interesting conversation about when this, when it, uh, when I read the email out, cause originally I, I had an immediate visceral reaction to it because, I'm of the opinion that if you have access to information, you should avail yourself of that information, right? Like if, if you were sat in the middle of the library of Alexander, Alexandria and were like, I'm not going to try and figure out how to speak ancient Roman by reading how to speak ancient Roman. I'm just going to try, <laughs> <laughs> right? I wouldn't think you're better <laughs> for trying to figure out on your own. I would just be like, dude, there's a book over there, go read it. Um, and so if you come to me and you say, listen, I'm, I want to make knives, but I don't want to learn how to make knives. I'm just going to teach myself. The first thing I can think of is why. Because the, the only thing you're doing is hamstringing yourself. You're, you are removing your ability to learn through other people's mistakes and to at least get the basis of some techniques. Because like blacksmithing is one of those things that you can't learn everything off your own back or you could, but you'd have to spend a century doing it. Yeah. There is multiple centuries of recorded history of blacksmithing going back through the ages that we rely on as blacksmiths today. And so if you're refusing to utilize any of that information, you're not going to be a better Smith for it. 
you don't get an award for learning the hard way. Like this is the thing, like if you want to do it the hard way, if that's your hobby, if that's your passion, if you're like, I want to figure this out for myself because I want to, like not because I want accolades or anything like that. It's just the way I want to do things. Cool. But if the the main thing is like, I want to be more badass because like I can say, I didn't watch any videos on this. I'm just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know. There's no reason that you should deny yourself the uh, the information to, to learn, uh, yeah. the opportunity to learn, especially and if the information and the mistakes and all of those practices have already been done and and established, essentially. And, and Zach, I'm sure you can speak to this. Like, we're both teachers. We've taught in-person classes. Yeah. You can literally be standing there telling the person what to do, showing them what to do, yeah. and they will still struggle, yeah. right? Like just learning the technique, just knowing the technique, being shown the technique doesn't make you immediately better. (laughs) It just means that you have a starting block to start from. Like if you're, if if I just, if I threw a piece of steel at you and a hammer and a, and a forge and an anvil, but you had no basis of knowledge, you would mangle everything. But even if I told you exactly what you needed to do, you'd probably still mangle it just less. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like when when the question was put to us of like you know, hey, I'm I'm teaching myself. I don't want to watch you tutorial. I don't want to watch tutorials or anything like that. The only thing I look up is heat treating charts. I was like, well, good for you for looking up heat treating charts. That's good because it's scientific. It's you know, it's irrefutable. But if you're denying yourself the tips and tricks of mastersmiths and stuff like that that are freely available on the internet for anyone to view what is what are you trying to accomplish right it like it's a bit confusing but um, I, I can see the understanding of learning that process for yourself um and just sort of just figuring it out um but again like you said if if that is the the aim for it is i just want to hit metal and see what it does by yeah. all means go for it have have great fun be safe you know, have the right stuff, look into it and do that research on that just to keep yourself safe. But if you're, if you're aiming towards a project or an, an end result, um, but you don't want to get any of the information, well, that is just sort of, you know, you're just hamstringing yourself because it is there. You'll make those mistakes and fair enough, you may not go straight onto it and go, why did this happen? You know, and, and post yeah. pictures of it. Um, because some pages can be pretty pretty bad with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so many things, so many videos that I've watched. Like I, I still watch every blacksmithing video I come across, like Naveen Sharma, right? And a lot of it I already know, right? Like I've been in the industry for 10 years now. Like I've, I know a lot about blacksmithing, but then there's sometimes where I come across something that I didn't even think to ask. Like a, how do you would, how do I do this? I didn't even think to ask that question because I didn't even know it was an option. And then I see it done and I'm like, holy crap, that's a thing we can do. And suddenly it's a thing I'm doing. And I think that's the thing that kind of blows my mind is the fact that by limiting yourself not to watch tutorials and stuff like that, you're not only limiting yourself from the like freely available information of like the general stuff, but it's very specific things in blacksmithing that you wouldn't even think to know, right? Like, um, that's it. Like, I can't imagine that learning on your own, you would come to distal taper very easily, right? Like, you might accidentally stumble across it, but unless you're doing a significant amount of testing post-forging, post-heat treat and all that kind of stuff, 
I don't know that you would think that distal taper would be important or how to position distal taper properly. Um, you know, there, there are a million different little tips and tricks like doing tapered tangs on full tangs and stuff like that and how to drill holes in tapered tangs that just don't come naturally as part of the learning process if you're not introduced to that idea first. <laughs> and I just... So I, by like I have actually tried to, to do those sort of things just based on a picture or something. Like, I reckon I could do yeah. that. You try and figure out how they put it together, and you'd make a whole bunch of horrendous mistakes along the way because you don't want to look it up. You just want oh, I can figure that out. Yeah, and but you, the, your tinkering side comes out. You know? But the worst, the worst, and that's great if you've got the time. That's fine. Yeah. But the worst part is that time is so precious. Yeah, like to most of us, like we don't have a lot of spare time, and so to me, the idea of like beating your head against a brick wall repeatedly to try and get a result and then failing consistently. And like, I can only imagine that would eventually get disheartening and you would eventually get to the point where you're just like, I fucking hate this. I don't want to do it anymore. Whereas like, instead of just watching a five minute video and going, Oh, okay, I'll try that. And you know, like, as I said, even if you have the information, you might still fail, but at least you'll know why. (laughs) And the why is really important. Because if it you is. fail, if you fail without the information beforehand, you don't know why you failed. You just know that you did. <laughs> so I just, yeah, like for me, it was, it was just kind of one of those things where I, I had that really visceral reaction of kind of a fucking why. Um, why but also it's hard for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You and, have to. But I understand it. The, the, I think the hard part for me is the fact that like I make things hard for myself all the time. I really like <laughs> challenging myself to forge things to very, very specific dimensions. I like forging to really close to finish. But that is a specific challenge within what I do. And that is something that only I can control. I have watched every Lin Ray video like 60 times. I have watched every video that you can think of that forges to very close dimensions purely because I wanted to have a reference for what I'm trying to actually accomplish. (laughs) Did it make it easier? Hell no. (laughs) So like you don't have to make things harder for yourself needlessly because it's already hard. (laughs) And I think, I think that's the thing that that gets me is that blacksmithing isn't easy. Like it's not, it's not something that you just pick up. It is a significantly difficult skill to master. And by making it that much harder, you are just making it needlessly hard. (laughs) Like, if you want to make your life harder, go into Mosaic Damascus and then try and, like, form, <laughs> then try and form forge Mosaic Damascus without getting as crap loaded of delaminations. You gotta start off at the base level, stabilizing timber first. Yeah, that's it. You know, like, <laughs> but, but there are so many challenges within bladesmithing that you, that, that are direct. Like, there's nothing that you could learn that will help you. Um, you just have to learn through doing and forge welding is one of those things. Like you can watch a million videos on forge welding and you can still fail like a million times. I did when I first started forge welding, like two years after I first got my forge, I could not make a forge weld to save my life. (laughs) No matter what I tried. Um, And so, yeah, like this is the thing is the end of the day, the information's out there. Like I'm an educator on YouTube. I've put out a million videos on educating people how to forge blades and stuff. Zach's put videos out. We both teach in person. There is Kyle Royer and his class, which was, you know, sponsoring this section or the section segment before this, who has an entire class on how to make the school. 
<laughs> yeah, the, the highest quality work that you could ever imagine. And even watching all of that, you'll still struggle because this is not something that you can just do. <laughs> you have to re refine it like we were talking about with the hand files and all those things and just getting to know what you're working with and, and knowing why and you'll be able to repeat that process and get better and better and, and you'll refine it to a degree where it'll just be just schmick. Yeah, and that's it. Like <laughs> the idea of learning. I, I just find the idea laughable of like I watch a, or a Kyle Roy a YouTube video and then suddenly I can make Kyle Roy quality stuff. <laughs> Like I've been watching Kyle's work since before I swung a hammer, learning and I, osmosis. I still I still haven't made a Kyle Royer quality piece. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, just don't like yeah. And this is you know this isn't me having a go at the specific questioner. This is just more of a like an overall. Don't get too macho for your boots, right? Like I understand that there is this kind of uh, feeling of pride in saying, "Hey, I taught myself." But at the end of the day, if you're teaching yourself to the detriment of yourself, you're not actually doing anything good, right? Um, I, like to, I like to think back to, I can't remember who said it, but it was um, when I was starting out, I didn't want to watch and, and do that sort of stuff because I didn't want to recreate something that somebody else had already done. But yeah. the few aspects of thinking about that is that number one, straight off the bat, is that blacksmithing has been around for long enough that probably by chance that somebody has already made that thing a hundred <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. <laughs> okay? yeah. So just get that thought straight out of your mind already. Um, and again, this is the one I couldn't remember who said it, but to, to, to find what you sound like, that's, you have to sound like yeah. someone else. Who is that? That's that's Neil Gaiman. Uh, it's Alex's, yeah, one of Alex's go. favorite quotes. That, uh, I heard it from Alex, so that's probably why. But before you before you sound like yourself, you have to sound like someone else. Yeah, and that really rings true to it. You can learn through doing videos and YouTube tutorials, and, and then you'll transfer into your own style. You'll find something, oh, I really like doing this as well on top of it, and you'll make it your own. Um, there's nothing wrong with learning that technique for the technique alone and then progressing from there. There's no shame in that whatsoever. We all do it on the daily. <laughs> and one of the, one of the biggest challenges is trying to recreate someone else's work. Like it, it's, well, it, it sounds, it sounds easy, even with the diagrams and stuff like Bob, Bob Loveless is one of the most famous ones. He's got like, you can buy the CAD files of all of Bob Loveless's knives. He was a famous stock removal knife maker. Um, and he made some of the most famous knife designs that are still used today. Even trying to recreate those, there are guys who are like Journeyman Smith and the ABS, and they still can't recreate Bob Loveless's stuff to his style, right? So just saying, like, I don't want to copy someone else, you can't. In most cases, they have decades of experience on you. They're going to be better. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so... At the end of the day, avail yourself of that information because the information is there for you to have. Um, and, and ask the questions, be inquisitive, and by all means, teach yourself new stuff. Like, if you think to yourself, hey, I wonder if I can do this, even if people say, nah, you can't do that, do it anyway, <laughs> right? Like, prove them wrong. Well, it's like when you when you make something that somebody else has you know, made, like you're following that tutorial, you'll still get the same you know rush of, of adrenaline when you finished it and you've made something yep. that's even close to what they're doing. Like, yeah, hey, that was pretty 100%. cool. <laughs> you'll go back and make it again, and it'll be even better the next time. Uh, it's funny because there was a guy, when I went to Blade Symposium with Kyle um, in 2020, there was a guy that, yeah, the, the guy that came, there was a guy that came to Blade Symposium that had, because Kyle had just released his classes at that point. Okay. 
there was a guy who'd completed his class and made one of his buoys, right? Like made the exact same buoy that Kyle had made down to the dimensions and everything. And the moment I looked at it, I knew it wasn't Kyle's. <laughs> right? Like same finishes, same, it was literally like, you know, just point for point, the same thing. And yet the moment I saw it, I knew it wasn't Kyle's because Kyle's has that specific Kyle Royal look. And that well, was that was have that sort of signature look to their work as well. You can tell that's it. Great. But that's that's the thing that struck me. This is this is a guy who followed Kyle's plan to a T. Like, just everything was perfect, and yet it still didn't have the Kyle Royer flair. And I immediately then immediately understood you can't copy other people because no matter what you do, it's always going to look slightly different. It's your version <laughs> of their work, you know. Yeah. And as long as you're giving like appreciation to that person, like when I made that, um, when I forged, yeah, when I forged that sickle, the the uh, the herb witch sickle, the circular one yes. that Troll Cunning Forge is quite famous for making, yeah. I just said, hey, yeah, Marcus, you know, does these all the time. I just wanted to try it, <laughs> you know. As long as you're giving credit where credit's due, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, and that's it. And. The knife making community on the general is pretty welcoming. Like you, you reach out to most knife makers. Yeah, they're going to be talk able about our craft. Oh man. <laughs> like it was the biggest surprise of my life joining the ABS and then just like randomly messaging journeyman Smith and master Smiths and then just being like, Hey buddy. Yeah, no worries. Here's how you do it. And it's like, this is a man who's been doing this for like decades and he's just sharing all this information. Like you asked Steve Schwartzer, how to do pretty much anything. And he'll just be like, yep, here's how you do it. Um, and if you live close enough, you'll probably be like, hey, just come to yeah. the shop and I'll show uh-huh. you. <laughs> <laughs> so like that, and that's the thing is that like, it, it's all there. And yet even guys like Steve Schwartz are, are still learning. Yeah. Right. Like he's been in the industry since he was a knee high to a grasshopper when Methuselah was young. And, <laughs> and he's still learning like he's still making new stuff he's still playing with new equipment and stuff like that so yeah there is so much to learn oh yeah and you can't can't tell i'm passionate about this topic at all no not at all not at all but we could keep talking about that all night but uh we could but falling asleep Zach needs this beauty, beauty sleep. I do. I need to create content for all you gremlins. He, he needs he needs to be the pretty one of the Forge cast since Alex left. Wow. It's, it's a tough mantle to hold, man. It, well, I mean, you do it well. You do it well. Alex does it. He's <laughs> in the blood of virgins or something. That's, that's, that's why he had to leave the Forge cast. Is he, just, he just got tired of being the pretty one. Um. <laughs> well, if they uh, want to send us questions, where can they send questions, Sam? Uh, you can send us an email at ask.forgecast at gmail.com, or you can also message us on Instagram at the.forgecast or the Forgecast on Facebook. Although if you message us there, we'll probably ignore you because Facebook is a cesspool. Um, <laughs> where can they find where can they find you, Zach? They can find me on Facebook if you want to look there. Uh, Instagram, <laughs> TikTok, YouTube, Patreon, Kofi, all of those sort of things. Um, yeah, hip yeah. How about you, Sam? Um, well, I'm laughing for Schwarge. Uh, yeah, yeah, they know who I am. The pretty one. Sh- right? <laughs> by now they but now they should, yeah. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, ugh, uh, Instagram, <laughs> Etsy, Patreon, Redbubble, YouTube, uh, the underscore kitchen underscore sink on TikTok, um, and here at the Forgecast, occasionally. Table 23, <laughs> uh, E23 at Perth Knife Show, next That's to it. this guy. 
We will see on, that. On table E24, right next to me. <laughs> um, but yeah. See you guys. See you guys. We will catch you there. Oh!